And as you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 1 or find your bulletin insert upon which that passage is printed, I'll tell you that Philip and I are beginning a series today on the entire uh, book of Romans. Sometimes I've had series in the past for three or four or six or eight weeks at a time, but this uh, series will probably take us at least through September, maybe somewhere over in there. And if we decide to slow up, who knows? It may take a little longer. But, you know, Romans has all kinds of things in it that we need to know about and hear about. Uh, it's, you know, it's, if you know anything about the book of Romans at all, you know the first 11 chapters are heavy on what we might call theology and doctrine, and the last uh, 12 through 16 are uh, more what we might call practical. Uh, but, you know, Romans has so much in it, sin, salvation, the gospel, predestination, I mean, just spiritual gifts on and on. It's a broad spectrum and diverse diversity among topics, so I don't think you'll grow bored uh, being in Romans that long. I hope not. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, when he went to his charge in Philadelphia, he has a five-volume commentary on the book of Romans and said he started to preach Romans 1 and preach for the next three years in Romans. I don't think ours will be that long, but... uh, He said that it really transformed his congregation. And, you know, we've been going through this revitalization process, and one of the the foundations of that is basic Bible. And you can't get any more basic Bible than Romans. So uh, we're going to begin in Romans 1 uh, today and take probably two or three sermons for each chapter We won't necessarily hit on every single verse, but we'll try and cover uh, the most important topics and doctrines in this book. So let's read the Word of God together. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you ever plan to go to Yellowstone National Park, and I hope you will if you've never been, there's a small place about 20 or 30 miles south of the park in the edge of Idaho known as Big Springs. And Big Springs is one of the headwaters 
of the Snake River. And at a place with a name like Big Springs, what would you expect to find? A lot of water. And if you ever go there, you won't be disappointed. And I say that because at Big Springs, 120 million gallons of pure water every single day surges from the ground and forms a river right before your very eyes. The water is so pure as it comes out of the ground, you can drink it. It stays at 52 degrees all year long. And I don't know how they measure that flow of 120 million gallons. That's beyond my brain's capacity. But I've seen that place. And it's pretty amazing to see the source of something as magnificent as the Snake River. Now we need to think about this notion of the source of something. Because this is what Paul is talking about in the early verses of this wonderful letter to the church or the house churches at Rome. Now, within the context, of course, of an ancient letter, he's giving a salutation here in these first seven verses to his original readers, but he's doing so much more because he begins to talk about the gospel which is not only the theme of this letter, but indeed the source of the Christian faith. As he will say in next week's text, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Or as he will write over in the 10th chapter, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ That is to say, by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. And who or what is the source of the gospel? Look at what Paul says here in verse 1. He writes, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus set apart for the gospel of God. The good news of Jesus Christ is God's good news. God is the source of the gospel. And you know, the Apostle John understands this so well because in his gospel as well as his epistles, he lets us know that over and over again in so many different ways. Think of 1 John 4 where he writes in this, "...the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the expiation for our sins. God is the one with the plan. God is the one with the initiative to make His love known. God is the one who reaches out to you and me and to an entire lost world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Or think over in his gospel, that wonderful verse 316, what the great reformer Martin Luther called the gospel in miniature, for God so loved the world that he he did what? He gave his only begotten son 
so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And think of the verse that follows that verse. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God is doing all of this and more in Jesus. This good news, this gospel has no basis in fact without the loving plan and activity, the marvelous works of God the Father. You know, the psalmist says, Sing unto the Lord a new song for all of His marvelous works. And this is His most marvelous work, this good news in Jesus Christ. Think of Paul's words at the beginning of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed you and me with the good news of the gospel. That's what gospel means, good news. He's blessed us with the good news of Jesus Christ. This means He he loves us and is actively at work in our lives. And I just wonder, do we realize that? Especially as we begin a new year together. We talk about all of the things we want to do and we want to accomplish and the goals we should have in a new year, but do we stop long enough to see and to realize what God has done for us in Jesus Christ? Do we see it each day? Do we believe it and continue to believe it even when things are crumbling all around us in our lives? You know, just when He should not love us because of our sin, Because of our turning away from Him, that's when He comes searching after us, just like a shepherd after a lost sheep. For God shows His love for us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel that we have because of God's work, God's gift in Jesus. And notice that this gospel is not some kind of haphazard plan thought up by God at the last moment because man came along and messed everything up when they disobeyed Him. Paul talks about how this gospel of God was promised beforehand. Now in his masterpiece simply entitled the epistle to the Romans, the The great German theologian Karl Barth wrote that the gospel is no intrusion of today. As the seed of eternity, it's the fruit of time, the meaning and maturity of of history, the fulfillment of prophecy. Barth says there that the gospel is the seed of eternity. Think about how John begins his version of the good news. In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's the seed of eternity. In the very beginning was the Word. We don't know what was going on in God's mind because His thoughts are not our thoughts, nor His ways our ways. But this is part of what Paul is getting at in Galatians 4 when he says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those 
under the law. People like you and me to redeem us who are under the bondage of sin. And law, the law tells us that that sin must be paid for. Now this point's important for lots of reasons, but one significant one is because many times those of other religions may say to you when they find out that you're a Christian, well, my religion is older than yours. You Christians have only been around for 2,000 years. And in one sense, the Christian faith has been here for just 2,000 years. But in another, it's ancient and goes back before the beginning of time. Moses writes of the work of Christ as early as Genesis 3. And the Messiah, or His work, comes to the surface of the books of the Old Testament over and over again. Not only does it go back to Genesis 3, but it's part and parcel of God's eternal plan. Remember Ephesians 1. God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. That's what Paul teaches us in Ephesians 1. You can't get any older than that. In fact, this tremendous age of the grace of God in Jesus is one of the points that Paul makes next. Notice that the channel or avenue of delivery of this gospel was the prophet's through the writings they left behind. This is what Paul says, the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now just for a quick reality check, is this the Scriptures Paul's talking about? It's a trick question. Yes and no. He's talking about the Old Testament. That's what Paul is talking about. The Old Testament is where the gospel of God is first found. Not only do we find the Messiah foretold, but we see people who in their life and example are a type of Christ to point us toward Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament is doing. It's pointing us toward Jesus Christ and telling us about Him even before God is going to send Him into this world. The book of Hebrews makes that clear about Melchizedek and how this so-called king of Salem, of which we read in Genesis 14, was a type of Christ. But we can think of many other Bible characters who portray the work of Christ in some way or another in their own lives. I mean, think about Joseph or Moses or David or Elijah. Think about Isaiah or Jeremiah. And on and on we could go. The grace and saving work of the Lord Jesus is fully immersed in the Old Testament. And that's why the Old Testament should be important to you and me. You know, many times as we, we read the, in, in the Old Testament, we think, I just don't like to read there. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's hard to understand. It's so far away from how we live today. I can't get any meaning out of it, but we need to get meaning out of it. We need to go back to the Old Testament again and again because that's where we first find out about Jesus Christ. And as you read through the Gospels and read many of the things that Jesus taught, you will see that His teaching is based where? In the Old Testament. It's in the Word of God. And if we, you know, if you don't agree with that, what I'm saying, then you need to remember 
one important story that only Luke gives us in his 24th chapter, one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus to two disciples as they're walking along on their way to Emmaus. And Luke tells us there that Jesus sees these disciples walking and He walks up and joins them. And to make conversation says, what are you two talking about? And Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened concerning Jesus of Nazareth? He was crucified by the chief priests and the rulers, but we had hoped that He was the one who would redeem Israel. Jesus lets them talk a little longer. And then He says, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and and then enter into His glory? And then Luke tells us, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning Himself, beginning with Moses, with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's where the gospel begins. Now think about what's going on there in Luke 24. This is the first teaching, perhaps, of what we know about from Jesus after He was resurrected from the dead. In many ways, we could say that it's the first sermon of the Christian era. And what is this sermon about? What is its message? What is its topic? It's all about the gospel and how that good news is found in all of the Scriptures. Yes, in the Old Testament, but in the New as well for you and me and all of those who have lived after the time of the early church. Now, today is the beginning of the season of Epiphany in the Christian year. And Epiphany means a manifestation or a showing forth of who Jesus really is. Anne Louise was doing a great thing with the children because she was talking about the wise man. You know, the wise men manifest Jesus for who He is. He's a king. They give Him the gifts of a king. And so when we think about how epiphany means a manifestation or a showing forth, what I'm trying to say to you is that the entire Bible manifests Jesus Christ. It's not just the New Testament. It's not just those Gospels or those letters of Paul that we love to go to over and over again. It's all of the Scriptures. And the Bible tells us again and again that Jesus is man, and yet at the same time, He's God. And Paul confirms as much here in our passage this morning as he talks about God's Son. He says, "...who was descended..." from David, the man, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. There is His divinity. And that word declared there does not simply mean proclaimed 
to be the Son of God. He is actually manifested as the Son of God. This kind of power that raised Him from the dead on the third day is manifesting to us all that He is the Son of God. In other words, His divinity, as one commentator put it, is constantly set forth as a flowing stream that meets our every need and enfolds us all along the way with a never-failing supply of His blessings which were bought for us on the cross and guaranteed to us by His resurrection. And Paul says that it's through this Jesus who is man and God at the same time, it's through this Jesus who is manifested in all the Scriptures that we have received grace. And notice what grace is and what it does. It's not just simply good news, as important as that is, but such a wonderful gift as grace lays a claim upon us. It sets us apart and gives us a mission, Paul says, even to all the nations. And if we really think about it, we can find those words of mission even as Jesus comes to that table the last time with His own disciples. I'm thinking about John's version of that. Do you remember what John says there? As Jesus comes to His disciples there, I believe it's the beginning of the 14th chapter, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. You see, this table and what it represents is a marvelous picture of the gospel of God's love in Jesus Christ. And after washing His disciples' feet, John gives us a lot of teaching there from the mouth of Jesus. The new command that we're to love one another as He loved us. And then He calls His disciples not just servants but friends. And then He says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and do what? Go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Think about that in conjunction with the Great Commission. Think about that in conjunction with this revitalization program and our whole emphasis on the world out there around us. Jesus chose you and me and appointed us to go and bear fruit and that that fruit should abide. As we bear this fruit, we obey the Lord Jesus and we bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all peoples, as Paul puts it here. Just as we come to His table and worship in remembrance of Him for His sake, proclaiming His death and rejoicing in His manifestation through the power of His resurrection until He comes again. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like good news to me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.